Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up this week, we're welcoming Elijah Wood back to the show. Elijah is, of course, the star of the Lord of the Rings series, a former child actor who appeared in Back to the Future Part 2, The Ice Storm, and Deep Impact. He's also a record collector, a former indie rock label owner, a TV show host, horror movie producer, and, at least in my experience, a very nice guy. Lately, you can catch him on Yellow Jackets. That's in the heart of its second season right now on Showtime. If you haven't watched Yellow Jackets, it's a funny and at times harrowing show. It follows two timelines. The first is in the 1990s, when a high school girls' soccer team crashes in the wilderness. Those who made it out of the crash still alive aren't out of the woods yet, though, so to speak. They encounter all the challenges you'd expect them to find in that kind of situation. Plus, also, cannibalism and maybe ghosts? The other timeline is set in the present day. It follows the rescued survivors of the crash decades later. That includes characters played by stars like Juliette Lewis, Melanie Linsky, and Christina Ricci. The Yellow Jackets, as they are called, have returned to a more or less ordinary life, but they're still haunted by the events around the crash. Sometimes, literally. Again, ghosts? My guest Elijah Wood plays Walter, a new character this season. Walter is, frankly, a weirdo. He's obsessed with crime. He spends a lot of time on true crime message boards where he argues about who was behind the latest murder du jour. Sometimes he takes things a little further than that, or a lot further than that. That's how Walter meets Misty, played by Christina Ricci. Misty survived the crash and, like Walter, considers herself a citizen detective who will do just about anything to get to the bottom of a mystery. If you think Misty and Walter sound like a match made in heaven, well, Walter might agree. Misty, eh, not so much. In this scene from Yellow Jackets, Walter and Misty are investigating the disappearance of another character, and they have a long drive ahead. So, Walter tries to break the ice with a game. Two truths and a lie? It could be a good way for us to get to know each other better. Alrighty, uh, I'll go first. I once owned a small business where we sold artisanal small batch goat cheese. And by we, I mean myself and a goat named Billy. Two, there's a non-zero chance that Barry Manilow was my biological father. And three, I have $175,000 worth of stock in Taco Bell, and I have never been to a single one. But beans upset my stomach. I can tell you're thinking hard. I'm not. Okay. Well, I guess you'll just never know then. <laughs> Elijah Wood, welcome to Bullseye. <laughs> Thanks. It's nice to get to talk to you. Nice to get to talk to you as well. Christina Ricci was on the show last year or something. I didn't do the interview. My colleague, uh, who's a Yellow Jackets nut, did. Mm-hmm. And all the talk of all the non-her people was like, what kind of lady is Christina Ricci? 
we've known her so long on screen, mm. but like truly don't know who she is as a human being. She came in here and everybody was like, oh, we're all in love with Christina Ricci now. She's the greatest lady ever. <laughs> She's awesome. Um, had you ever met her or worked with her before? We worked together when I was 15. Yeah, 15 or 16. A movie called The Ice Storm. I think she's just, oh, of course. Yeah. just a year older me, uh, than me or, or just shy of a year older than me. And so we were, yeah, we were in that film. Uh, there's a scene with us at the bottom of a pool making out. What, um, so I have a question. So when you are, uh, in this case, you're an adolescent or yeah. post-adolescent sure. actor. What is your relationship with people your age who are working in the same thing because it feels like it would be weirdly concentrated mm-hmm. by the fact that you are in a sea of adults or alienated a, it's very that's a very good question i think in terms of uh, is there was there a sense of community amongst fellow actors that yeah or like what is it i mean what about when you're in you know when you're in a movie with three kids and an adult cast or two kids and an adult cast or two 13-year-olds and an adult cast. And the two of you are like homeschooled or, Mm -hmm. you know, go to actor high school. And um, (laughs) there's an actor high school in Los Angeles, right? I I think there is. I I did a correspondence school through Ojai that was sort of like that. Yeah. Um, And then everyone else is a grown-up. And also, you don't necessarily have a big social group that's waiting for you outside the set. You know what I mean? Yeah. There would be a lot of bonding on set amongst, you know, people of the same age. And that happened a lot where where I would be one of a couple or one of many, depending on the film, uh, of young people. And you do kind of, yeah, you stick together because you're amongst your peers. And for me, you know, I didn't, I wasn't then go, I was away from home a lot. So... Those environments and the adults included became my peer group. They were my friends, and my sort of social life was largely on film sets. And that would either be with, you know, other actors my age, um, which happened a lot when I was young, up until about my mid-teens, and then it would it was also the adults as well because you know I, I was working as an adult, so there would be some degree of camaraderie and and connection amongst that sort of familial experience for whatever, however many months at a time you're together. I mean, one of the weird things to me about it is I think acting in any context is a weirdly intimate bond. Like when you're in a cast with somebody, or I'm sure working on a film or television production, but especially like a film production where the shoot is relatively short. Yeah. Like it is a an immediate and intense bond because everybody's working so hard, everybody's got to work together and everybody's showing their feelings and Yeah, and everyone's everybody's a, a drama kid. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's away from home typically, unless right. you're shooting, you know, if everyone lives in LA and you're making a movie in LA, which is rarer and rarer now, you by and large are are away from your home. So that's also a binding element. You know, you you are your only sense of community is the the crew and the cast. So it's this it's a it's a series of bubbles that you you kind of jump into and it's this microcosm of of life. Uh and you are your support system. You know, yes, there's vulnerability shared uh as a result of the of the work. That is just a, a nature of doing it. Um, and it connects you to people in a way that is so profound, but also so um, 
finite and for such a short amount of time. <laughs> you know, something like Lord of the Rings is an outlier because it's it was over the course of four years, which is is so not normal. So those bonds, those connections are sort of long-lasting and, and for life in a way that kind of is embedded in our DNA that can't be replicated by anything else, which isn't to say that 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 those other film and TV experiences aren't hyper-connective and intense equally. It's just they tend to be for shorter periods of time. I was I had a show at San Francisco Sketchfest in January. And oh, cool. my freshman year college roommate lives in the Bay Area, and he came and took some pictures at the show because he's a photographer. Mm-hmm. And I probably hadn't seen him in 10 years, I guess. And it was like... A yeah. moment. Like it was, there was no turning it on. I was just gave him a hug and was so happy to be there with and him. And you were back. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And like you had that weird college experience <laughs> in New Zealand making the three biggest movies of all time. Yeah. Three of the top 25 or whatever. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. Point yeah, yeah. remains yeah. the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And, and, and I, I completely relate to that feeling too of years can go by and I won't have seen. Ian McKellen or Vigo or any number of crew and cast. Gollum. And, Gollum. Or, yeah, or Andy Serkis. Uh, and it'll be, in, it's instant. It, it's like muscle memory. We're, we're right back where we, we left it off, which is such an extraordinary thing that we have that and share that. I mean, that's, to your point, it's deep bonds and friendship that are kind of a, they become a part of your DNA that you can spend, you know, 10 years of your life away from your college roommate, see that person, and it's, you're right back to where you were, which is such a lovely thing. Christina Ricci, who you kind of run parallel with or together with in uh, Yellow Jackets, yeah. so great on the show. And like one of the interesting things about the show is that there is the meta text that this show is about adults reckoning with the traumas and intense, weird bonding experiences of their childhood Mm. and reckoning with the public's relationship with those things. Mm -hmm. And like you, you signed up to join her in that, you know, fellow child star turned successful adult actor. Right. Like the two of you signed up for the project of let's excavate. That's so funny. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Well, how about this? Did you did you have you ever thought about the meta text of you signing up for this show and the your first part was in the uh, Paul Abdul video where you played a baby executive? <laughs> That's also playing with a lot of the same themes. <laughs> That's a lot of the same themes. Working working there with David Fincher, I believe. Yes, it was with David Fincher. Yeah, <laughs> before he was making films. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep I keep repeating myself basically. Had it really not occurred to you that 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 show is really about like people who are public figures as kids dealing with the consequences of it as adults. I mean obviously it's really you know uh juicy show. Yeah, so, it ab- is. Absurdly juicy like packed full. Unbelievably like, so, yeah. It's, it's not like a super straight dry drama, but like um but it really hadn't occurred to you that those themes were going on? It hadn't. I mean, the idea that it's adults unpacking the traumas of the past of their youth that was present. But that idea is really interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's there. It, I mean, it's it totally is. It's so consequential that those things were public, right? Like, it's mm. not just that they went through this horrible traumatic experience together. Sure. But that they have experienced it their whole lives as 
as part of who everyone sees when they look at them. That's right. That's really interesting. What do you think of it now? <laughs> now that it's... It's I've more meta it than you. I'd given it credit for, clearly. <laughs> Especially, I mean, you know, the, there is something of Christina and I working together, too, in, in that context, to your point, where we have shared history. We also have a similar past in regards to work in this industry. Both started... I think she may have been older, younger than I was when she started. I was eight. So, yeah, I mean, for us to sort of work together again in our early 40s uh, on on a show that is sort of about the adults reflecting on the, the, the choices they made in the past is really interesting. And it just hadn't occurred to me. The, 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 the obvious sort of like connective tissue of the two of us and our lives, uh, that, uh, that was not lost to me, of course. Um, but it's, it's also just, it's, it's really incredible because I'm not used to working with former, not former, uh, someone who had come up as a child. And Christina is the first that I've worked with in quite a while. And it's, it's really evident that she has had that experience, partially because, and, I, and I've used this, this, this sort of verbiage to describe what it's like working with her, but it's like working with someone who has like, a finely tuned um, instrument. She is so good at what she does, and it is clearly through years of experience that she really knows who her character is and how best to achieve what she needs to achieve more than anybody else does. And it's thrilling to watch, and it's really fun to work opposite. It makes the work easy and fun. And that goes back to, I think, her experience of having done this since she was a child. It's like, it's old pro stuff, you know? She just has been doing this for so long that her, her, her ability to access all of the tools in her tool belt to be able to perform and bring a character to life in a way that is thrilling and true and all the things you want it to be, it's just there. It's so present for her. We've got more from my conversation with Elijah Wood. Still to come, stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Elijah Wood. He's the star of movies like Lord of the Rings, The Ice Storm, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. These days, you can catch him on the hit Showtime series, Yellow Jackets. He plays a true crime nut called Walter. Let's get back into our conversation. In my memory, before I listened to an old interview that we did 10 or 12 years ago, yeah. I had again, in, in my mind, kind of corrected your age when you started doing The Lord of the Rings to being like 24, which is sort of <laughs> what it seemed like to me. And I yeah. couldn't believe, again, that, it, that you were 18 at the time, yeah. and like how perfectly it mirrored your Isn't it wild? kind of college years experience. Totally. It's totally bananas. After you did that, what did you, like, want? Had you decided at that point what you wanted? Because you'd been in show business a long time mm-hmm. by then, and you were had been the star of a movie that was one of the most successful movies. Right. I don't think anyone was expecting you to be George Clooney, but, like, <laughs> you had more agency than most actors do. So, like, mm-hmm. what did you decide? Well, right after Lord of the Rings, and I think just... Specifically because I was ex- I was so exhausted from having, 
made those movies over the course of 16 months, I, I knew that I wanted to work on something, but something really small and really different. Um, and then after that, I, I, I truly didn't, there was no strategy. I, I, I just wanted to continue to work. The, the careers that I, that I love are those that an actor is known more for the quality of their work and the fact that they're just conti- like and their longevity rather than it being great big successes along the way. I don't know if that if that makes sense, but I think just I, I kind of wanted to quietly keep working and and be allowed to continue to work. That was the goal, and it wasn't any any grander than that. Um, and I wanted the flexibility to be able to work on all kinds of things. And, and the hope was that there would be, I would be able to express different aspects of who I am over time that would carve out enough of a, of a wide path for me to do that. And I think I can articulate that better now than I would have then, but that was it. I think. Another thing that you and Christina Ricci share, and forgive me for the impudence of this, but is uh, like big, beautiful anime eyes. <laughs> um, and that was like, that was something that I definitely remembered from 12 years ago. I was like, she I remember. Has, she's got anime eyes. I remember getting lost in Elijah Wood's beautiful eyes. Um, but like, <laughs> when you're a screen actor, especially, like your mm. appearance defines the work you can do sure. 30% at least, yes. right? Yes. And one of the things that I thought that I have long thought is neat about your career is your big, beautiful eyes make you uniquely suited to play dreamers who are gazing in wonder Mm. or psychopaths (laughs) and who are gazing with a psychopathic gaze. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how he feels about dreamers who are gazing in wonder. It seems seems like an earnest guy. He probably enjoys that. But like psychopaths, I'm like, as far as I can tell, he thinks that kind of stuff is cool. And like he produces those kind of movies where there's psychopaths in them. And like probably he thinks that's pretty fun that he gets to do that. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Playing characters that are uh, extremely different from yourself. Look, I'm also a genre and horror fan. So So you're not actually a psychopath. I'm not a psychopath. Okay. No. I've never taken the psychopath test, but I I suspect I would fail. Okay. Fail meaning that I would not be a psychopath. To be fair, that's what a psychopath would say. That's fair enough. That's true. Uh, But no, look, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to genre. I'm a big genre fan. Those are movies that I love. Uh, certainly engage in, in producing some of those films. But yeah, you know, characters that are psychopathic or are just have dark tendencies are just interesting to play because it is just so far away from who you are that it's it's fun to embody that. So yeah, it's, it, it's enjoyable, I guess. Is uh, an intense horror movie a type of movie that you have always liked? Like, was that something that you discovered when you were 12, like many people who are into that? I discovered it when I was <laughs> I discovered it when I was five or six. Um, my brother is seven years older than me, so he was already renting horror films with his friends at, when we were living in Iowa before we moved to California. And he would, you know, rent these movies, and he let me watch them if I just promised I wouldn't tell our parents. Um, and were so, you so? I've learned from my own kids, Yeah, there are kids who are terrified of 
anything. One of my kids is scared of movies that have sad parts. Right. Or just loud parts. Right. One of my kids loves horror movies and is not scared by them at all. Just thinks they're cool and fun and uh, interesting. Wow. Which is, my wife and I are terrified of horror movies. So we've really had to like... We got to kind of be there, you know, yeah. just to make sure everything's cool. Yeah, of course. Um, so what kind of relationship did you have with them? I loved them immediately. Um, you know, I have memories of really specific memories of having seen the gremlins and being worried that there were gremlins under my bed. Really vivid memory. Or when they rebroadcast, not the actual premiere of Michael Jackson's thriller, but when they rebroadcast it later in the 80s, because I think the premiere was 85 or 80 earlier, and I was too young for that. But they rebroadcast it on MTV, and I ran to the basement because I was too afraid of that. Return to Oz would be a common, I think. Oh, Return to Oz. Sure. I thought that was cool, but also creepy. so many nightmares about Return to Oz. I can see that. I can see that. But no, I a, a film that I that I saw with my brother that was a direct to VHS horror movie that he rented and watched with his friends, called Truth or Dare: A Critical Madness, remains a favorite film of mine. So like, it didn't scar me. I loved it. It never crossed into my psyche in a way that that gave me nightmares or made me uncomfortable. If anything, there was a sort of rush associated with it. I mean, obviously, the initial feeling was like, this is taboo. I'm not supposed to watch these things, so I need – this is amazing. And feeling so excited about being able to watch something that you're not supposed to. And then that gives way to, over the course of many years, watching more and more of them and recognizing, oh, there's an art here. There's more to this than just gore and fun. There's real expression uh, and filmmaking uh, present within the context of the genre. And then I became a real horror fan, you know. Do you love most uh, fancy horror movies? Or <laughs> Fancy horror. What or, is fancy horror? I mean, we're, t- we're talking. Are you ab- talking about the latest uh, sort of renaissance of horror yeah, films? Yeah, I'm talking about like a, like a horror movie that like A24 puts out okay. or whatever. You know what I mean? Sure. Where, uh, there's a lot of quiet parts and uh, maybe a grand metaphor, et cetera. Okay. okay. Um, maybe a, like a either a famous actor or like a really compelling cult actor or something. Sure. Or do you like a VHS tape from the truck stop? I love I love them all. I love them all. Um, I think my favorites tend to be. My favorite kinds of horror movies tend to be where they take their subject matter seriously or not resting simply on their exploitable elements. I love those movies too. They're fun. They're rides and they're they're messy and gory and they're a blast. But my favorite movies, you know, I think a lot of what we're experiencing now and certainly over the last probably 10 years, because this has really been kind of growing over the course of 10 years, is really more like a return of the 70s than it is anything novel. It's taking the subject matter seriously great actors are 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 playing these characters which isn't also by the way a slight on anyone who has been working in the genre for ages um because they're all great and it's hard to work in horror and i think it takes certain skills to to pull that off um but we are in this 
phase were actors who are notable for not being in horror or being cast in horror. But that was true in the 1970s as well. You know, Rosemary's Baby, um, The Thing, um, The Exorcist, those were all lucky. Those were all made by major filmmakers uh, who cast notable actors not known for doing, doing genre movies in their films. And they're notable for having taken the subject matter seriously and not just simply resting on the exploitable elements, but rather, in all, and I think in all cases, you could remove the genre elements and still have a compelling story underneath it all because they're about something, you know. That's where we are now, which feels exciting. I, I think, look, any time that anybody takes genre seriously is a good, is a good thing because more often than not, it tends to get rele- relegated to this kind of B place. Um, when there's really exciting, interesting art being made, you know? As a producer of a lot of genre movies, and especially like horror movies, and as an actor who's acted in a lot of horror movies and, you know, slasher movies, you you have a lot of responsibility to engage with the problematic aspects of those movies. Um, How, you know what the relationship of the audience is to a serial killer in one of those movies, whether, um, you know, how female characters are portrayed and sure, you know, to what extent their perspective is represented in those movies. Mm -hmm. Um, it occurred to me that those are not that wildly dissimilar to the stuff that yellow jackets plays with, um, about the sort of relationship between the salaciousness of a juicy story of violence mm-hmm. and what its real effects are and what it actually means to us, the people who aren't directly involved in it. Right. And ultimately the consequences for that violence in a real, real, a real way. Um, it is the element of, of genre and of horror and action, too, where there is this sort of love of exploitation for exploitation's sake. But the consequences of that, both to the characters involved, specifically women, tends to be, uh, are pretty unsavory. And what is it really saying? What's lovely, I think, about what they're doing with Yellow Jackets, why I really responded to the first season, too, is that it does give you the t- the tastiness right of of playing in the, with those genre tropes the kind of cult-esque adjacent ideas uh, supernatural adjacent ideas that are sort of uh gaussian like you're not quite sure what is actually happening but it's also about choices that these young people are making in some cases violent choices but it's also about the repercussions of what those choices are later in a really real world context that to your point, it's not there. There is like it's 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 able to sort of enjoy the juiciness of the genre whilst also having the consequences present for everybody involved. And the show, the show is about dealing with the past and dealing with a kind of hyper violence, both having been inflicted on them, but also afflicting it onto others, and how that carries on and and wait in how that manifests. And that's explored even more in season two, the kind of percolations of like what lies underneath these characters as adults that came from their past, from what they all experienced together, and how that's starting to percolate up and bubble out of 
the the kind of confines of of rigidity that they've tried to give themselves and to fit in. You know, they're all sort of trying to fit in into life, some better than others. <laughs> um, you know, Melanie Linsky's character is, and her family are such a great example of, like, it's a it's a nuclear family. It's like a, 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 a you know a wife and a, and a husband and their daughter and everything's fine and and like came from trauma, but it's cool. We got this, but like they don't at all, and it's it's kind of you know, coming apart at the seams even more in this season. And I, I love that. But all of them are reflections of of the past in different ways, you know. But I think there's also a kind of core mystery to the show, too, which is what really did happen. You know, a lot of what was expressed in season one is like, you get a sense of what of what they went through, but m- they talk about it more than you actually see. There's there's so much that's not revealed to you about the past. What really did they do? Because man, it has had such a profound impact on who they are and where they're going. And this season tends to unpack that a little bit more and gets into the sort of juiciness of that even more. But again, the consequences are just as intense for what is expressed. We've got more to get into with Elijah Wood. Before he became a grown-up actor, he was a child actor. He moved out to L.A. from Iowa with his mom and his brother. But what if he hadn't done that? Would he still be acting? We'll talk about that after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm sure you've noticed how giant corporations are controlling more and more about what we consume, whether it's our food our news, or even the shows we enjoy. The Greatest Generation is a show that stands up to Big Star Trek and says no. We can laugh about costumes that fit too tightly in the groin area. We can make a Star Trek podcast that's basically only about that. The Greatest Generation, the show for free and independent thinkers about Star Trek. And the groins of different costumes. Reviewing every episode in order. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. You'll be doing your part in telling the Star Trek industrial complex that they can't control your mind. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Elijah Wood. He's starring on the new season of the TV show, Yellow Jackets. So both horror and true crime have significantly female-tending audiences. They're two of, like, the... Yeah. Two of the genres of entertainment that have the most women relative to men enjoying them. And a lot of women producing the content, too. On, yeah. And certainly with podcasts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm a big criminal fan. And, Sophie Judge is awesome. Oh, they're really they're really cool. I met them before from public radio No stuff. way! They're so cool. Oh, that's cool. I'm a fan. Um, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, like, they... And you really see the tension between the fact that these genres have many deeply misogynistic elements that have, uh, you know, they're often seen through a fascination with a murderer who's almost always a man. And what yeah. what explains him? Why is he so alluring? You know, sure. those kinds of things. At the same time, there are so few representations in our culture of the kinds of traumas that women go through for being women, for the crime of being women, um, that are near universal that like just being able to see those kinds of traumas on screen, I think is from talking to friends who are women who are into this stuff Mm -hmm. in a context that is relatively safe. It's within the bounds of the screen 
just seeing that representation is something that some people just really want and crave. Interesting. As a, as a means of catharsis. Well, just, or for whatever, for whatever reason, for means of, you know, representation. Not that right. everybody has been murdered. Right. But like, I think many to most women have been through traumas of that kind of one sort or another. Yeah. I can see that. On the other hand, it all creeps me out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think what you're talking about to look, it's baked into the into genre. It's baked into horror. I feel like those movies are being made less and less. And Yellow Jackets, I think, is a direct engagement with those ideas. Yes. Like Yellow Jackets is a is a show that is about the women. Yes. You know, it is that kind of juicy, but it's about the women, and it's not just about the women's moral failings, meaning that they should die, um, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much, it's much richer text than that. And you're, you're a dude in there, and you just get to be a doof. <laughs> pretty much. So far, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I get to. I mean, the the journey that my character's on is kind of, you know. Is that a spoiler that at some point is this going to be on Yellow Jackets fan websites? Uh, uh, Wood admits character eventually not doof. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's clever. He's smart, but he's also yeah. He's he is kind of a he's goobery, but he's also awkward. And I think he's hyper intelligent. I don't know that we know everything about him. But the thing that's fun that I got to do on this show, which does deal with so many complexities. And so much darkness is I got to I got to run a track that was essentially comic relief. <laughs> and it was lovely. I, I was so happy. It was because, so lovely. <laughs> as I said, this kind of thing sometimes overwhelms me and upsets me. <laughs> and um, even just the drama, even just the juiciness, I find a little uh, overwhelming. Often. Sure. Yeah. Um, like my wife likes a juicy show. And I'm like, I just I just want to watch a boring show or a show of jokes those are the amazing i just want to watch antiques roadshow um it's good but like uh i was very relieved to get to Mm. see you do with christina rigi who's such a funny actor as well so funny you get to do the thing that i like watching you do the most which is be a like a, a, a like a light silly goofus oh thanks it's fun it was really fun i mean i you know i got to go to work every day with her playing a a relatively light sort of arc that we were on, you know, playing an investigator, uh, being a little awkward with another awkward character, both of them sort of like, it kind of mirrors of each other in a way, uh, which is sort of great and perfect why they sort of come together and they're easy to be with each other. Um, So it was, it was fun. We, I didn't have to bear the burden of so much of the narrative stress and darkness of of the storytelling so it was it was a joy do you think that you would have pursued an artistic career or specifically an acting career if you hadn't moved with your brother and your mom to los angeles when you were seven and been good at it Mm. um which you were i mean i've seen a lot of things that you were in when you were a kid you're really good at it thanks uh as you are now thanks do you think that you would be an insurance adjuster? I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like all of us, it, 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 probably because we were our mother's kids, 
you know, in a in a profound way. I feel like we would have had a fire to break the confines of our of our life in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. No offense to Cedar Rapids, it's great, but you know, I think we would have traveled. I think we would have gotten out to experience the rest of the world. What that would have looked like practically, I don't know. I, I feel like I would have pursued something creative. I think I'm drawn to people, uh, and and I'm I'm drawn to. I was then, and I certainly am now, and it defines a lot of what I love about what I do, and about just making movies. Is it's a community of of people working towards a common goal with that's a creative in a creative process. I love that. That's what I love about it. Um, the acting is just a part of that, you know. But that is communicating with a group of people fitting into the context of all of these people working together towards a common goal. Like the coolest part of that yeah. in the times that I've done that kind of work is just how good everyone is yeah. at their job. Like yeah. I just have never been anywhere else. I mean, I bet it's like that if you're in the Navy or something like that, right. but I've just never been anywhere else where you get to like ride this river of competency yeah where like if you you know that if somebody says i'll do this they're gonna do it and do a good job 100 it's bananas yep it's great it really is great and it's um it's thrilling and exciting and it's still i still get a great deal of satisfaction in it and and it it drives enthusiasm to me i i got to for instance um, Boots Riley has a TV show that's about to come out called I'm a Virgo. Um, and he asked me to come and just do a day. I just did one little character in a, in a, uh, a burger shop. Love, sorry to bother you. Boots, I've, I've gotten to know. He's incredible. Real and genius. just being on that set for a day was just so thrilling to be in the mix of such creativity and so many ideas being thrown around and, and to your point, everyone being so good at what they do to be able to facilitate those ideas. And at its best, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. So w would I have found that path? I, I, I'd like to believe that I would. It's hard. It's a hypothetical. You know, I don't, I have no idea what I, what would have driven me. I think I would have been attracted to music. It's part of me in such a profound way. I love it. I love photography. I feel like I would have fallen in love with movies anyway. I think all those things would have been truths. So I would have, I probably would have pursued something that would have given me those feelings. <laughs> probably. Elijah Wood, thank you for joining us on Bullseye. It was so nice to get to see you and talk to you again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Elijah Wood, folks. Lovely man. His performance in Yellow Jackets is weird, funny, and disturbing. The second season of the show is airing right now on Showtime. Also, if you are listening to this and are a fan of Yellow Jackets, make sure to listen to our interview from last year with Christina Ricci, who plays Misty on the show. Uh, that one was conducted by our friend Jordan Cruciola of Max Fun's Feeling Seen podcast. Uh, we'll have a link to it on the Bullseye page at MaximumFun.org. Seriously, though, it was a winner. Really great. She's really cool. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Outside my house, 
The black asphalt has gone light gray because the great city of Los Angeles has painted it with some kind of heat reflective material so it doesn't uh, operate as a heat sink. It's going to cool down my street this summer. I'm very excited about it. Thank you, city of Los Angeles. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Thanks to them and Memphis Industries, their label, for sharing it with us. You can find Bullseye on all your social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Follow us in those places. We will share with you our interviews. Hopefully you can share them with others. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.